Good morning, and uh, welcome to River Glen. Great to be together with you. Uh, good to see you. Welcome everybody here in Waukesha. Uh, big welcome to everybody over in Pewaukee and online, wherever you're located, wherever you're sitting. Uh, just delighted to have you uh, with us. My name is Ben, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to let everybody know that uh, we are just uh, thrilled that uh, Pastor Dave Cole is back at the uh, Pewaukee campus uh, this weekend. Yeah, Dave... Uh, Dave had an accident uh, cutting down a tree uh, recently, broke his jaw, but uh, as you can see, his jaw is doing much, much uh, better, and uh, we couldn't be happier to have him back as a campus pastor in Pewaukee. And also, just a big thank you to Joe LaVerge for stepping in and filling in for, for Dave while he, could, uh, while he uh, took time to uh, recover. Really grateful for Joe's uh, leadership and willingness to help. Let's, let's give Joe and Dave just a big hand, show some appreciation. Uh, to them. Really grateful for both those guys. Well, I hope you had a great uh, Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. I think Thanksgiving is a great, great holiday. I love how encouraging it is. Be grateful, uh, be thankful, and uh, eat lots of food, watch football. I watch lots of football. I probably watch too much football on Thanksgiving and uh, Thanksgiving uh, weekend. I enjoyed watching the the, uh, Badgers beat uh, Minnesota. Uh, tough loss last night, but uh, great season, great uh, Thanksgiving weekend uh, victory, and uh, also watched the Packers beat the Giants on Thanksgiving uh, weekend. It was a great football uh, weekend on, on thanks, Thanksgiving. I heard a friend of mine recently compare his life to uh, the game of football, and what he said really, really hit me and got me thinking. Here's what he said. He said, I'm entering into the fourth quarter of my life and my faith. And maybe some of you can uh, relate, you know, maybe you're, maybe you feel like you're entering the fourth quarter of your life or faith, but even if you're in the second quarter or the third quarter, you know that the fourth quarter is coming. And I've been thinking a lot about that, how life's like a football game with four uh, quarters. I thought about that all Thanksgiving weekend as I watched all these football games. And here's what I began to realize. In the world of sports like football, even though one game is in the fourth quarter, I mean, there are all kinds of games uh, getting started uh, elsewhere that are in the first quarter. There's always a game starting somewhere, especially on uh, college football Saturdays. Alabama might be in the fourth quarter, but Auburn and UCLA are just getting started in the first quarter. In the world of sports, it's always the first quarter somewhere. And that's why people like to go to places with lots of screens Uh, to watch sports and football games. This is a picture from the uh, restaurant next door to our Pewaukee campus. This is called Point Burger Bar. And uh, they got all kinds of screens. If you've been there, they got lots of screens because there's always a new game somewhere. It's always the first quarter somewhere. And I realized it's the same for us in our lives. Though, you know, many of us may be in the second quarter, the third quarter, the fourth quarter of our life or faith. We also know people, some friends or family, maybe people that we uh, work with or, or go to school with that may just be entering the first quarter of their faith this Christmas season. And the beauty of the church, the mission of the church, the calling of the church has always been for those who are especially in the third and fourth quarter of their life and faith to never, ever, never take their eyes and their hearts and their minds off of those entering the first quarter, potentially, of their uh, faith in, in God. Many years ago, I heard this illustration that uh, stuck with me. Now, you've got to use your imagination on this one, okay? 
So go along with me. But I imagine, imagine if we could see beyond this world right now and we could see heaven. And I believe what we would discover in heaven, all of heaven is cheering us on right now. All of heaven is counting on, on us to share with others what others have shared with us and to invite people, more people, into the first quarter of their faith. I picture this story in my mind about Jesus in heaven, but go back with me to the time when Jesus lived on earth. He, he lived this perfect life, and then he gets beaten and abused. He's, he's crucified, and he's buried, but then he resurrects, and he ascends to heaven, and he's, he's gathered the angels. Some angels have gathered around him in heaven, and uh, one of the angels pipes up and says to him, hey, hey, Jesus, we saw what happened to you down there. Are you okay? Are you all right? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm good. I'm healed up. I'm, I'm complete. I'm fine. And another angel pipes up and says, well, does everybody down there know what you did for them? Does everybody down there know how much you love them? Do they know, how you, you, do they know what you did on the cross and how they can come to God through your sacrifice? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, not, not everybody down there knows, knows that. And then one of the angels says, well what, well, what have you done? What have you done to let everybody know about what you did on earth to save them and bring them new life? What have you done? And I picture Jesus, you know, gathering the angels around him, and he says, all right, I, I want you to know what I've done. I want you to know the plan. While I was down there, I talked to a few people. You know, I talked with a guy named Peter, I talked to James, I talked to John, and my hope and challenge to them was that they would tell others, and then, and then they will tell others, and they will tell others, and they will tell others, and that's it. That's my plan. And I would imagine it got quiet in heaven for a period of time until one of the uh, brave angels uh, spoke up. He might have been new to the team, and he doesn't know that you're not supposed to talk, and he said uh, to Jesus, that sounds good. You know, you're the son of God. That's a good plan. Okay, we're going to go with your plan. But what if, what if in the future people get distracted and they don't tell others? What if people get busy and they don't tell others and share with others what others have shared with them? Have you made any other plan? And I think Jesus looks them in the eye, just like I'm looking you in the eye right now. And I think Jesus said to them, I really don't have another plan. I'm counting on them to tell others and tell others and tell others. That's my plan. And there is no plan B. And I wonder if all of us that have gathered today with uh, River Glen, I wonder if we realize how, how high the stakes are. Pastor Rick Warren says it this way, the only thing you can take with you to heaven is other people. And so hopefully that gets us in the mindset for what I want to talk with us about today and next weekend as we consider the season that we're in and inviting new people into the first quarter of their faith. Because this time of the year leading up to, the, uh, leading up to Christmas is the time of the year when people who don't follow Jesus are most open to Jesus. And we get, we get more guests this time of the year than any other time of the year. And, and something, that, something great about this time of the year is that we find ourselves in more social settings because of the holidays. And so we find ourselves in uh, school parties and neighborhood parties and office parties. We find ourselves in fi family uh, gatherings. Christmas brings more opportunities for conversations. And that's why we're calling this series Merry Conversations. 
Because we want to help you prepare for these Christmas conversations so that you can invite people into the first quarter of their faith this Christmas uh, season. I like the way that uh, Pastor Perry Noble says it. He says, he says, found people, find people. That's just what found people do. After you have found Jesus, you naturally want to help other people find Jesus. Found people, find people. That's what Jesus did. That's the plan of Jesus. If you study the life of Jesus, he constantly invited people to, to uh, follow uh, him. He found people and invited them to follow him. And many of us would like to do that and have conversations about church and Jesus with people maybe that we work with, people in our family, people in our neighborhood, people that we go to school with, because found people find people. But there's all kinds of reasons why we, why we don't reach out and in, invite other people. There's all kinds of hindrances, and uh, one of these hindrances, I think, is fear. Uh, fear. Maybe some of you right now, you're feeling kind of excited, you know, your heart's pumping as you think about these uh, merry conversations and inviting people into the first quarter of their faith. And maybe you've got a list of people in your mind and, and you're looking forward to this. But then as it settles in and you think about going out into the world and doing that, uh, you begin to feel fearful because you know if you do that, if you start reaching out and inviting people, you think if I start, start doing that, you, here, here's what's going to happen. Uh, those people are going to ask me questions. When I invite people to our Christmas Eve candlelight services, uh, they're going to ask me about Genesis and the whole creation story. And I, I don't know how to answer those questions. I, don't, I mean, I don't know everything. I'm not a pastor. And, and then some people, they're going to ask me about dinosaurs. And I don't know how to answer questions about uh, uh, dinosaurs. And uh, I'm going to look really dumb. And some people are going to ask me questions about God. They're going to say, you know, if you want me to come to your church and answer me this, why would God, why would God allow so many bad things to happen to people, so many bad things to happen in our world? And I'm not sure how I would answer that. I'm a little confused about that one myself. And here's what happens to us many times when it comes to these merry conversations. We think because we don't know everything, we're fearful of sharing anything. We think, I don't know everything about the book of Genesis. I don't know everything about Revelation. I don't know everything about the Gospels. I don't know everything about River Glen and what we believe. And because I don't know everything, I feel like I can't share anything. And I get that, but here's what I want you to keep in mind. At some point in pretty much every one of our lives, there was a person who didn't know everything, who set aside their fears and shared something with you about Jesus. Yeah. I'm curious. On both, on both uh, campuses, if, if somebody invited you uh, to uh, River Glen, maybe, maybe, maybe it was a couple uh, months ago or years ago or decades ago, if uh, a, a person, maybe a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, if, if what got you to River Glen is the invitation of another person uh, across both campuses, would you just go ahead and raise your hand right now? Just raise your hand high and proud. Yeah, look at that. Look at that. Now, let me ask you this. Did the person who invited you, did they know everything? Now, maybe they thought they knew everything, you know? Yeah, I know. They thought they could answer every question, but they didn't know everything. And their presentation to you probably wasn't the most professional, and, and they probably stumbled over their words. 
a little bit, and maybe they felt nervous, but they shared something with you, and that changed everything for you. This is personal for me. My parents got married oh, way back in the 1950s, and uh, they were not Jesus followers. They were far from God, but they bought a house next to a family who became friends with them, this couple next door, and they invited my parents into the first quarter of their, of their faith. And uh, now, now my parents are both in heaven, and this neighbor, uh, you know, he went to heaven. He actually went to heaven about a year ago, uh, but he visited River Glen a couple times when he was in town, and he was like a hero to me. Not because he knew everything, but because he had the courage to set aside his fears and share with my parents what others had shared with him. And that's the way it works. That's the plan of, of Jesus. I love the way this guy named Paul talks about reaching out and inviting uh, people. Those of you that have been to church for a period of time, you've probably heard us talk about Paul. But if you're brand new to church, Paul is this guy in the New Testament who becomes a Jesus follower, and he's just really good at talking to all kinds of people and introducing them to the first quarter of their faith. And we think of Paul as this hero, like, you know, he always knew exactly what to say. But if you read what he wrote about how he felt when he would reach out, it's kind of a different story. Yeah, take a look at what he wrote to the Corinthians here. He says, in the same way, my brothers, when I came to proclaim to you God's secret purpose, I did not come equipped with any brilliance of speech or intellect. You may as well know now that it was my secret determination to concentrate entirely on Jesus Christ and the fact of his death upon the cross. As a matter of fact, in myself, I was feeling far from strong. Look at this. I was nervous and rather shaky. What I said and preached had none of the attractiveness of the clever mind, but it was a demonstration of the power of the Spirit. You ever felt that way? You ever felt nervous and shaky? I have. You know, you're getting ready to invite somebody to church, and, you know, I'm thinking to myself, found people, found, find people, found people, find people. I'm going to do this. You can do this. And then I, like, forget everything. I forget where I go to church. I'm just so nervous. You know, that's why I like to have a written, you know, invitation piece in case I forget. I can hand it uh, to them. But you know what? If we feel nervous, uh, we're in pretty good company. That's how Paul felt. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament in the Bible. But then Paul says plainly, God's purpose was that your faith should not rest upon man's cleverness, but upon the power of God. And so you don't have to know everything to share something. You don't have to know everything about God and faith and the gospels and the beginning and the end of creation to invite somebody into the first quarter of their faith in, in Jesus. As I prepared for this message, it, it struck me, it surprised me how clearly the scriptures teach that you don't have to know everything to share something important about Jesus with other people. Take a look at what Peter says about preparing for merry conversations. He says, if somebody asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Peter says, always be ready to explain the reason you have hope. In other words, always be ready to explain why do you follow Jesus? Do you have an answer to that? Ready to go? Why do you, why, why you follow Jesus? Because other people, you know, they don't have time, you know, to go and read a book or listen to a podcast and come back and talk to you. I mean, they just want to know, they just want to know, why do you follow Jesus? And so I'm going to come back to that question later 
and suggest an answer to you, but I want you to notice what Peter doesn't say in this scripture. He doesn't say, be ready to explain everything that you believe all at once. He doesn't say, be ready to defend the Bible. Now, that's a good thing to do, but that's not what he says. And he doesn't say, be ready to explain all the details of creation and dinosaurs and answer every question that people have about God. He doesn't say those things. Because you don't have to know everything to share something. Just know, just know why you follow Jesus and be ready to explain that. And then notice what Peter says next. But do this in a gentle and respectful uh, way. He says this isn't about arguing or shouting or proving other people are wrong. You know, like we see people so often do in, in politics. It's amazing to me all the uh, arguing and fighting you know, that goes on on, on social, social media. And it, it never, I, n- I never see a change in anybody's mind. I've never, I've never been on Facebook and seen anybody reply and say, thank you for dropping that truth bomb. You have changed my mind, you know? <laughs> I've never seen that happen. Yeah. Peter says, this isn't about making a point. This is about making a difference. This is about caring for others and sharing with others what others have shared with us. And in order to make a difference, you've got to treat people with gentleness and with respect. And so I want to show you an example of what Peter describes here, what what it looks like to invite someone into the first quarter of their faith in a gentle and respectful uh, way. I know a lot of times when it comes to Uh, Merry conversations. The reason we feel fear uh, about extending an invitation is because we don't know how the other person is going to respond or reply. And many people are skeptical today. People are skeptical about faith. They're skeptical about who God is. They're skeptical about the church. And, and, uh, you know, sometimes they're skeptical for a good reason, uh, to be honest. But take a look at this merry conversation between a Jesus follower named Philip and a skeptic named Nathaniel. It says, uh, Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, Nathaniel, we found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And so so, uh, Philip tells Nathaniel about Jesus. He went to look for Nathaniel because found people find people. He tells tells Nathaniel about Jesus, but look at how Nathaniel replies uh, to Philip. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel starts trash talking about Jesus. He's from Nazareth. Isn't he the son of that carpenter, Joseph, from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? From the beginning of this conversation, Nathaniel is skeptical, doubtful, unsure about all this. And so put yourself in Philip's shoes for a moment. I mean, talk about a hard question. Uh, Nathaniel takes a shot at Jesus. How do you answer that? But Philip doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't say, well, that's it, you know, and end the conversation. And Philip doesn't say, let me tell you uh, seven reasons why Jesus is the Messiah. Or let me tell you five reasons why you're wrong. No, Philip is gentle. And respectful. Look at how Philip responds to Nathaniel. Come and see. Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. In other words, I know you're skeptical about all this, but come and see. I know you're unsure about Jesus and Nazareth, but come and see. Come and see for yourself. Here's something important I really want you to know about River Glen. River Glen 
is a come and see kind of church. That's who we are. That's the way we do church here. That's the way we celebrate Christmas here. It just screams, come and see. Come and see for yourself. That's why we have these uh, invitation pieces in your program uh, today. We have, we have nine identical Christmas Eve uh, services uh, coming up uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and uh, Tuesday. Nine identical Christmas Eve candlelight services. And you can give one of these to someone and say, hey, I know you're skeptical. I know you're kind of skeptical, but uh, come and see. We've got these Christmas Eve services coming up. Here's an invitation. Sometimes it helps when you invite someone to say, come and sit with me. I go to the 1030 on, on Sunday. Come and sit with me. Maybe, maybe you've got skeptics in your life like Nathaniel. You don't have to know everything to share something. Just say, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and sit with me. And Nathaniel says, okay, I'll come with you. I'll come and see. And so Philip brings Nathaniel to meet Jesus. And as they get close to Jesus, as they get near Jesus, Jesus calls out Nathaniel. Uh, take a look. At it. As they approach, Jesus said, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. I've read this scripture many times, but what stood out for me this time is the way that Jesus saw Nathaniel before Philip did. Jesus found Nathaniel before Philip did. What if, what if, just go with me for a moment, what if the reason Jesus found Philip is because he knew that Philip would be able to find Nathaniel? Nathaniel and Philip had a relationship, and that's why Jesus found Philip, because he knew that he could find and invite Nathaniel. And what if God actually saw your neighbor where, where you live before you did? I know you live where you live because you saw the house or the a condo or the apartment, you liked it. You thought I could afford it, I could make it look great, but what if the bigger reason that you live where you, where you live is because God saw your neighbor and he knew that you'd be in a relationship with that person and God knew you could probably help them begin the first quarter of their faith. What if God is that big? The reason you go to school or work where you work is not just to get a paycheck or a degree, but because God saw somebody that you would be close to. I would imagine probably all of us are close to somebody who is far from God, and God put you where he put you for a purpose so that you can share with them what others have shared with you and invite them into the first quarter of their uh, faith. Take a look at how this wraps up in, in verse 49. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, Jesus, you are the son of God. The king of Israel. Remember a moment ago what Nathaniel said? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now he goes from skeptic to believer in just a few moments. It's because Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus, to meet Jesus, a place where he could meet Jesus. And Jesus changed Nathaniel. See, we don't change people. Jesus changes people. Our job is just to say, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and sit with me. And Jesus changes people's lives. And a lot of times, we don't realize the way God works behind the scenes, preparing other people. We just think, well, I'm going to invite my friend or my neighbor or my classmate. But here's what I want you to know. We don't start from scratch with anybody. We join God where he is already working. And, and God's already working 
in the life of every person that we will meet this week. We just say to them, come and see. Come and sit with me. And we get to see God do some great things in in people's uh, lives. Let me share with you one more story from the world of sports and football. Imagine with me that uh, we could go to a game, a Packer game, in a couple weeks up at Lambeau Field. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? I know it's really hard to get tickets, but uh, use your imagination. And so we get a block of about 400 seats, about 400 of us journey up to Green Bay, and we all sit together, and uh, we're really excited. It's cold. That's one of those freezing cold Packer games in December. But we dressed warm. We've got the hand warmers and the uh, foot warmers, and the Packers come, Packers receive the kickoff, and the offense comes on the field, and they huddle together, and they talk about all the plays they're going to run, but they never break the huddle. And the referee blows the whistle for delay of game, moves our team back five yards. And they huddle up again, talk about the play, the plays they're going to run. Referee blows the whistle for delay of game, moves them back again. And they get together again and, and talk about the plays. They huddle. They talk about the plays they're going to run, but they never break the huddle. And they end up eventually having to punt. It goes on and on. Now, at some point, those of us sitting in the stands are going to say, hey, listen. We know you guys can huddle. We know you guys are really good at huddling, okay? But we didn't come here, 70,000 of us didn't pay $125 a seat to sit in the freezing cold and watch you huddle. What we wanna know is can you move the ball? Can you score? Do we have a real team here? That's what we wanna know. And and I believe it's the same way with our world today. I think the world out there around us, our friends, our neighbors, you know, they they see us huddle. They see us get in our cars and pull out of our driveway and go to our locations where we huddle. They know that we're good at huddling. But what our friends and neighbors and the world want to know is, can you score? Do the things that you talk about in your huddle, the things that you talk about in private, do they actually work out in public? We know you're good at huddling, but will you live this out, live these things out in the real world? Listen, it's great to come to church. It's great to come to church, but it's even better to go and be the church. I mean, it's really important for us to huddle. We need to huddle every week. We need to huddle so that we learn and grow and support each other. But only if we break the huddle and go out there and live this out. And we have an incredible opportunity this Christmas season to go out and uh, say to people, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and sit with me. And if we do that, we'll see God do some incredible things in, in people's lives. Now, as we get ready to share communion, I want to answer one more question. This important question came up earlier in this uh, scripture where Peter says, if somebody asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. He's really saying, always be ready to explain why you follow Jesus. How would you answer that question? I want to suggest a simple answer, and I saved it for the end because I think communion helps us answer it. So why do you follow Jesus? Here's the answer I would suggest. Say this. Say, I believe that Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. That's why I trust him. That's why I follow him. See, you don't need to know everything or explain everything. Just say this. I believe Jesus died for my sin 
and rose from the dead. And, and not just the first part. I, just, I believe Jesus died for my sin. That's really important. That's why we celebrate communion. The bread represents the body of Jesus. The juice represents Christ's blood. The death of Jesus is critically important. But the reason we experience hope is because Jesus is alive. Uh, only, only a living person can forgive sin and bring new life and, and, and eternal hope. That's why, we call, that's why we call this communion, because Jesus is alive and we commune with him. We have community with him and, and with each other because he is alive now and forever. And so when somebody asks you why you follow Jesus, just say, just say I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. And then you can, you can say this to the other person. Tell me what you believe. And this is a great time to just listen and show them that you care as they share something very personal about themselves. This is not a good time to disagree or argue uh, with them. This is a time to listen and be gentle and respectful. Communion reminds us how, how to answer the question, why do you follow Jesus? And so I want to invite you during this next song to uh, walk over to one of our communion stations. We're going to have several communion stations set up around the room for you. Our communion is open to anybody who says, I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the, rose from the dead. Just make your way to one of the communion stations and pick up your uh, cups. And we also have an ornament for you. Uh, there's hundreds of ornaments on these uh, two Christmas trees. And uh, this one here says peace. They also, some of them say joy. Some of them say believe. Some of them say uh, uh, hope, joy, believe, and peace. Those are the four words. Maybe you know somebody who needs peace or joy or hope or to believe this Christmas season. We hope you'll take one of these and put it on your Christmas tree. Keep it as a reminder to pray specifically for someone who needs Jesus this Christmas season and pray for the opportunity and the courage to have a merry conversation with that person where you say, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and sit with me. And so during this uh, song, you can, uh, you, can, you can go over and get your communion cups and, uh, and ornaments and then return to your seat, and when you're ready, eat the, eat the uh, bread and uh, drink the, the juice. And remember what Jesus has, has done uh, for us. And then come back, uh, come back next weekend, and we're going to talk more about how to have uh, merry conversations this Christmas season. So let me pray for us. God, thank you for today and allowing us to gather in Waukesha and Pewaukee and online to get filled up and encouraged so that we can go out and make a difference in the lives of other people. Thank you for these next few moments to share communion and remember why we follow Jesus because, because he died for my sin and rose from the dead. God, God, we need to gather like this each week, but help us realize that this week we have people around us who need to be invited into the first quarter of their faith. I pray that we would put aside our fears the same way somebody did for us. And we would say to someone, come and see. Come and sit with me. And God, we give you all the praise and all the credit for the things you do. In Jesus' name, amen.